0: Well, for the past several weeks, we've been, we've been looking at a series, and we've, we've just called it Standing Firm, and we're talking about spiritual warfare, and we're talking about our responsibility as believers and what we're supposed to do. And God's given us an, uh, an order to stand firm, and today I've, I've just entitled this message God's Dog Tags, and I'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about in a minute, but uh, our mission as as the body of Christ as individual believers is for us to plant our feet firmly look our enemy straight in the eye not blink and not give any ground we're supposed to stand firm now we do that not in our own power okay we do that by resting in the power and the finished work of Jesus Christ. I want to emphasize that, okay? What I've been talking about is not to make us feel stronger in ourselves. It's not to make us think that, that we're equipped to do this apart from Jesus, because we're not. It, it's, it's, our ability is rooted in Jesus. Now, it's not rooted in what others think about us. Or what others say about us. Or how they perceive us. Or or what they say our strengths or weaknesses are. It's not even rooted in what we think we are. Okay? I want to get real practical today. Okay? We've talked about... uh, A couple of weeks ago we talked about our enemy and knowing our enemy. And Last week we talked about knowing ourselves and knowing our strengths and our weaknesses and our limitations. And all that's important... But if that's all there is, we lose. Okay? If it's just our strengths and our, our our limitations and our weaknesses versus the enemy, we lose every time. But there's something else that we need to understand. And it's it's who Jesus Christ, who God the Father says we are. How he sees us. This is what's so important. You see, we see ourselves many times... As, as failures. I mean, I've, you say, well, I don't see myself that way. Well, I've talked to a lot of people and most people see themselves as failures. They see themselves as mess-ups. They see themselves as they get a little right and they get a lot wrong. And that's how they perceive themselves to be. Not only that, parents and friends and family members, they kind of echo that stuff. You'll never, You'll never amount to anything. I mean... All of us probably heard that, and probably most of us have said that to somebody or not. But you know, the reality of it is, it's not what we perceive ourselves to be. It's not what anybody else perceives us to be. It's who God says we are that matters, okay? When God looks at us, I I try to remember this, when I look at a person, you know, Y'all know me, I'm just going to be transparent. You know, I'll look at that person, I'll size that person up, and I'll make certain assessments, okay? Any of y'all do that? We all do. But you know what? I I can't see that person like God sees that person. But when I put on God's eyes, I see that person clear. I see that person made in the image and likeness of God. I see things that are different. And you know what? God sees us differently and we see ourselves. Our, our, it's not based on our abilities. It's not based on our disabilities, our strengths, our witnesses. Our ability to stand firm on the battlefield and be victorious is based solely on God. That's it. So it's not really our assessment, assessment of who we are that really matters. Ultimately, it's who God says we are. Now, here's the thing. Most believers don't believe what God says about them therefore they don't live it out i'm going to say that again most believers don't believe what god says about them therefore they never live it out this is god's word amen okay we know what god says because we have his word amen this morning we're going to we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1 this is one of my as far as i'm concerned this is one of the high points in all of scripture is, is the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look a little bit this week, and, and hopefully we'll finish it up next week. We're going to look at, at Ephesians chapter 1. We're just going to walk through here. Now, I mentioned dog tags earlier on. Every soldier, and, and, the, and the fact is it's not just United States soldiers. It's soldiers that serve in other armies across the world. They wear dog tags. And those dog tags contain different information, and even in the United even in even in our country, dog tags contain different bits of information depending on the branch of service, but they will have the soldier's name they'll have the soldier's social security number, and they will typically have his religious preference or her religious preference and perhaps blood type now don't worry about the dog, okay just forget about the dog all right. So, well, Nelson, if you hadn't said anything about him, I would have never thought any more about it. Well, I can hear him, okay? So I'm telling myself that. But those dog tags carry vital information, and, and they're, they're, they're visible evidence of that soldier's identity. I mean, I, I don't know if, if, you've, if, if, if you've ever been in a situation where you just wasn't sure. You know, a soldier can reach up and, and he can look at his dog tags and remember who he is. He can remember where he comes from, those kind of things. They're important. They're also there if that soldier gets injured. Uh, th- they'll know what blood type he is. They'll know who he is. They'll know if they need to call a chaplain or not. If that soldier is killed, they'll be able to identify him. So dog tags, are they're very important, but they're also, and this is the point I want to make, they're a constant reminder of who that soldier is. One of the treasured possessions I have is I have my father's dog tags from World War II. He was in the Navy. And I started once to bring them, but then I decided no, I'm not going to get all that. I've got them in a little case with with the flag that the that the Navy gave us when when my dad was buried, and, and, and the different uh, medals. And I say that they're they're theater of service medals and different things like that. I've got all that in a little frame. I just decided not to get it out. But y'all all know what dog tags are. I mean we've I mean they're fashion statements from time to time. So we all know what they are. But every believer has a spiritual set of dog tags, whether you know that or not. And we don't hang them around our neck. God hangs them there. And they're there to remind us daily of our identity, who we are. But they're also there to remind us of whose we are, who we belong to, the ownership and the origin of where we come from. We we belong to God based on what Jesus did for us on the cross. Our identity is based on what Jesus did on the cross. Our identity is not based on who we say we are. It's based on what Jesus did and who God says we are. And it, that's critical this morning, okay? It's critical that you understand that. There is perception of truth and there is truth. When I look at something, I perceive it as true. When God looks at it, it's true. Amen? When he says this is true, there's no perception. There's no if ands, or buts about it. This is reality. And so God says it in the Scriptures. And so this morning, I just want to walk through these. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time, to be honest with you. I, I could probably preach on this the rest of my life and never plumb the depths of it. The book of Ephesians is basically, if you, if you want to go break it down, you could break it down as Watchman Nee did uh, in three sections. Sit, walk, and stand. And this first couple of chapters tells us that we have to rest in Christ. Uh, 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 I just drew a blank. (laughs) Russ! (laughs) Russ mentioned resting. Resting. And that's exactly what sitting is. It's resting in the finished work of Christ. And the first section of of Ephesians is about sitting. It's about resting. Now, we're talking in, in, in in our series about standing firm. Standing. Here's the key. You will never stand until you learn to rest and to sit in Jesus Christ. That, that's just reality. You're going to be you're going to be fighting the air, basically, with no hopes of winning until you learn to rest in who God says you are and what God says He's done for you. So this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and if you if you if you have them, turn to Ephesians chapter one. And we're just going to walk through this quickly and and. I'm going to say some things that might stir you up a little bit. Just be stirred up. And if if you want to discuss them or argue about them later, I'll discuss them. But I'm not going to argue with you, okay? Fair enough. (laughs) Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints. To the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul, whenever he writes a letter to a church... It's interesting how he addresses it. He never addresses it to the sinners saved by grace. Now, if you've been here, you know I've got a, I've got a hobby horse about that title, okay? So I'm just going to get it out and say what I think about it. I understand what's meant when it's said, okay? I grew up hearing that designation. I I have called myself that on occasion from time to time, up to a point in the past. But Paul never addresses the churches. He never addresses believers as sinners saved by grace. In fact, the Bible never addresses believers as sinners. Now, now I know some of you are, are you sure? I'm positive, okay? I looked this up. I checked it out. I even read what some theologians said that I trust, okay? Sinner is a noun, okay? And a noun is a person, place, or thing. How many of you know that, okay? How many of you remember that from English? Okay, sinner is a designation that's always used in Scripture of someone who has not yet come to Christ. You look it up. You just you just check it out. Get you a, get you a, 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 I can't even think of what you call them. But use your index in the back of your concordance. There it is. I'm having trouble this morning with words, all right? Maybe too much rain, maybe too much barbecue. Certainly wasn't too much sunshine. Just look it up. Now, sin is also a, a noun. Now, here's what I don't want you to hear me say, okay? Christians do sin. Amen? We do sin, but that's not who we are. All right? Scripture never calls people who've been born again sinners. Paul calls them saints. The word in in Greek is hagioi, it's holy ones. That's literally the word, holy ones. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the holy ones who are at Ephesus. Now, Let me just ask an honest question here. How many of you feel comfortable calling yourself a holy one? Kind of goes against the grain, doesn't it? That's because we've believed a lie. We've believed we're stinking, dirty, rotten sinners. Okay? And and before we came to Christ, that's what we were. But when we came to Christ, guess what happened? Their dirty, rotten, stinking sinner died. He was nailed to the cross along with Jesus Christ. Just read Scripture. That's what it teaches. That's what it says. And we were raised with Jesus. Okay? So, you know, that's a designation that, sadly, many pastors and and teachers have used to beat the world out of the devil. I mean, to beat the world out of the Christian rather than teaching the Christian how to live in the world. You say, well, Nelson, why is this so important? Well, it's important because most Christians believe they're sinners rather than saints. God says to the saints, not to the sinners. So how does God see you if you know Christ this morning? How does God see me? He sees me as a holy one. Now, it's not because of anything else. I've done, or anything you've done, it's because of everything Christ did. That has been applied to us, every one of us who know Christ. We are holy ones. Okay? The term saint, you know, has come to mean somebody that did miracles and and was not like most of us and had no issues like we did. The only problem is that's not a biblical definition of a saint. That's a mythical definition. That's one that the church along the way said, okay, we've got these special folks. We'll sit over here. and We'll call them saints. Saint Paul. If you just read Paul, he's arrogant. Amen? For those of you that read New Zealand, he's a little arrogant. Peter? Peter's got his foot in his mouth all the time. James and John? They're the ones that said, hey, Lord, can we just light this village up? They're not listening to you. Let's call down that. They were, you know, Abraham, liar, Moses, murderer, Samson. You had any description after his name you want to. Okay? Y'all understand what I'm saying? God just used regular folks like us. They're no better and they're no worse. We've made them heroes and put them up on pedestals. The only one who belongs on that pedestal is Jesus Christ. We're the holy ones, okay? We're the ones who've been set apart. We're the ones who've been consecrated. So the word saint simply means somebody who's been cleansed by the blood of Christ and who have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, they've been separated from the world and consecrated to God. Because of Christ's sacrifice and what the Holy Spirit has done within us, we've been taken out of the world and we've been placed in the presence of God. We're set apart to Him. That's all saint means. Now, you know what? When you're in the middle of the battle, rub that dog tag a little bit and see if you don't feel saint. You'll hear sinner. Okay, the devil will scream, sinner, 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 saved by a sinner, sinner. You're nothing but a sinner. Rub the dog tag. It's embossed, okay? It's got saint. It doesn't have sinner because that's how God sees you. We, we've just, we've we've done some disservice and we've done a lot of disservice. Now, before we go any further, I I'm, I want us to do a little exercise. I don't, I don't rarely ever do this because I've just not won in repeat after me stuff, okay? I do, it, you know, that gets monotonous after a while. But I think this is important, okay? So I want you to say this after me. I know Jesus. Jesus knows me. me. Therefore, Therefore, I am a saint, not saint. not not a sinner. Now, doesn't that feel better? Now, listen to me. We all sin. We all need forgiveness. We all have to confess. But if you see yourself as a sinner saved by grace, you know what you will act like? A sinner saved by grace. But if you see yourself as a saint, your behavior will change over time. And you'll begin to act in the way that Scripture calls us to act. That's when Paul says to the saints who are at Ephesus, he he's, he's saying, people at Ephesus, this is how God sees you. This is what God sees when He looks at you. Now, let's just move to the next verse. God also sees us individually as, as people who have been given two essential elements that's needed for the victorious life. If you don't have these elements, you're probably not saved, okay? Let me just say it plainly. You're not saved if you are not experienced. You have to have these two elements. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse 2. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Now, is there anybody in here who has never heard the word grace? Out of, the, out of the stream I came out of, that was a big word, okay? It, it's, and it, you know why it's a big word? Because it is, it is a big deal. It is a, everything flows out of the grace of God. The grace of God is, is God's unmerited favor. He's put his, his favor on us. We don't merit it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it, okay? But now we're going to stop right there, all right? We're not going to go because we're dirty, rotten, stinking sinners, We're not going to say that. That's not in Scripture. Peace, Paul says, I want you to, grace to you. Peace to you. Grace is, like I said, it's, it's literally, grace is literally who God is poured into who we are with all the garbage washed away. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. We can't do anything to merit it, to gain it. But listen to me. On the other hand, We can't do anything to disqualify ourselves from it, which is equally as important. We can't lose it. Okay? It's God's grace. He poured it out on us unconditionally. So, as you rub that little dog tag, you have access as a believer to grace that has no height, no depth, it's infinite. Has no beginning, has no end. You can't exhaust it. In other words, God has given you enough ammo that you can start shooting your gun and shoot forever. You will not run out of bullets, okay? As some of you, listen to me, need to start shooting your gun, spiritually speaking. Amen? You won't run out of it. Now, that grace is linked to something in this passage. It's linked to peace. Peace from God. Folks, God has given us shalom. That's a Hebrew word that means wholeness. It's not just absence of war. It's wholeness. It's it's spiritual. Here really is what it is. It's spiritual prosperity. We are prosperous in Jesus Christ. It's not something that's partial. It's not something that's even dependent on you or me. He's given us his peace. I love the way Jesus puts it in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, "Peace I leave with you." Now, he's talking to a group of disciples who are they are in turmoil. They are stressed out. They don't know what's about to happen. They don't understand what he's talking about. He's about to be crucified they're 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 all over the page. And Jesus says his peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do you realize that even in the worst moments when Jesus hung on the cross there's a peace there. In the garden when he's praying and he's asking God to remove this cup from him there's a peace there. It's the shalom of God. It's the, it's the 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 wholeness of God's presence with Him. He says, My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Folks, the peace of God which comes from God is given so that we are at peace with God. And that's important. When we were sinners, before we came to Christ, we were at war with God. The we Bible says we were at enmity with God. There was a conflict. But when we came to Christ, we, Scripture says that we were given peace with God. God gave us that peace. We didn't make peace. We didn't, we didn't throw, here's what we didn't do. We didn't wave a white flag and surrender. Okay. Now I've I've said this. I surrendered to God. I've heard pastors say just surrender this morning and give up. We died. Okay. There's a difference between waving a white flag and dying. We died, folks. We we didn't surrender, we died with Christ. We were crucified with Christ at that moment. Romans 5 chapter 1 verse I mean, excuse me, chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 says therefore having been justified that word justified means to be declared not guilty not guilty sin you have sin in your life not guilty not guilty why how could God do that Jesus on the cross there it is Jesus paid our debt therefore God can say not guilty you You. You're not guilty. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult. And and most of us don't know what E-X-U-L-T means. It means we jump for joy. That's literally what it means in the Hebrew. We jump for joy in the hope of the glory of God. What this means is no matter what comes your way, you can rest in God. Because His grace is unending, and His peace is unending. It doesn't matter what's going around around you. That's why we can stand on the battlefield day after day and not blink. Because we are seated in Christ. We have peace with God and we have the grace of God. Let me ask you a question. What can the devil do to take that away? Can he steal your peace? Can he steal your grace? They were gifts to you by God. He can't take them. We just have to rest in them. We don't have to we don't have to struggle. We don't have to run around in a in a flurry. We don't have to get all stressed out. We just rest. We relax. We sit. We sit in those things. Now, that grace and that peace, I kind of like to put it this way. They are like impenetrable, an impenetrable bubble, like a force field around us. And as long as I rest in that peace and walk in that grace, you know what? The enemy can throw rocks as hard as he wants. But you know what they do? Ding. They fall off. Ding. They fall off. Ding, they fall off. Folks, he cannot reach you in Christ. This is what God sees when he looks at us. Why is she so worried? Why is she so fearful? Why is why is he why is he stressed out? Why is he running back and forth? Why doesn't he just relax in Jesus? Why do he just rest in what I've already given him? He's got all the He's got all my grace. She's got all my peace. Why aren't they experiencing it? That's what God says when when we get all stressed out down here. Y'all do know nothing threatens him, right? I've already told you this. He's not at war with anybody. Okay? Not even Satan. There is no war with Satan if all you have to do is speak a word and he's gone. Okay? That's how powerful God is. Now, he also reminds us in this verse of something that I think we very often forget, and that is we're not spiritual orphans. Let's look at what he says there in, in verse uh, 2. He says, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Our, O-U-R. Our Father. Our Father. Our Father. Our Father. So, Nelson, you're stressing that. It's because we have a Father, folks, who loves us not for what we can do for Him. Okay? Not for what we can do for Him. But He loves us unconditionally because of who He is. That's a big deal. True love is never about performance. If you have to to perform to gain somebody's love, the love they're giving is not real love. Okay? God never makes us perform. That's not what God expects. Listen to me, young people. If you have to perform, if you have to do something to get somebody's love, it's not love. Okay? It's not love. Love's not about what you can get, love is about what you can give. All right? For God so loved the world that he gave. What did He give? He gave everything. He gave His Son, who gave everything. What true love is, is a heart-to-heart relationship, really. And God, you know, God's the perfect Father. I know that there are people in this room that, that either didn't have a father as such, or had a father that wasn't a really good one. Okay? And, and sometimes we base our perception of who God is based on what our earthly father's like. Folks, that's not God. Okay, God is the perfect Father from whom we earthly fathers are supposed to base our performance on. He's our model. We're not His model. Okay? We don't create God in our own image. God created us in His image. And so as fathers, we're to, we're to pattern ourselves after God. And as children, we're to look to God to see what a father's supposed to be like. If our fathers weren't perfect, they didn't get everything right. See, God is the pattern because God loves us. God protects us. God encourages us. He instructs us. He supports us. He provides for us. Sometimes He disciplines us. That's what fathers do that love their children. He knows when enough is enough. He knows when to say the right thing at the right moment. God loves us. And folks, listen to me. God never leaves us. He will never Abandon us. So as we stand on that battlefield, as we face our enemy, rub that little tag, and just remember who you belong to. You belong to God. He's your Father. Even if you don't feel, even if you don't feel it, Scripture says He is. Okay? And here's the the reality. If you'll get the truth in the right place, the feelings will follow. Okay? Okay? I can't get the feelings there and hope the truth follows. I've got to get the truth there, and God says, "I'm your father. I'm your Abba." Jesus called him Abba, Daddy. Romans in Romans, Paul says that we can call him Abba, Daddy. We're not by ourselves. Now I want you. To, we're going to move on to verse three. And I've used this verse over and over and over. I think I used it last week, and I may have used it the week before. And here's the deal about this verse. I'm going to keep using it until somebody gets it, okay? All right. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting. He says that God is our Father, and then he says he's also the Father of Jesus Christ. So what does that make you in relationship to Jesus? Brother, sister. Family. There's there's maybe a better word that we can all say. We're family. We're family. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Blessed. I, I don't know if many of us realize what blessed means. It means we have been endowed with the ability to succeed. That's what the biblical word means. God has, has dressed us in Christ for success. We've been blessed. What have we been blessed with? Look at this passage every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, I asked this question last week. I'm going to ask it again this week, and I'll probably ask it the next time I use this verse. What does every mean? All. Every. I had a teacher in school that taught me that all means all, and that's all all means. Every means every, and that's it means everything. We have all the blessings. We have all the riches of God. They have been put in us they have been given to us folks we have been endowed with them so that we can live a victorious life that we could live a successful life, a holy life we don't lack anything well I can't do this I can't do that I can't do this. I can't say that. I can't stand up. I can't talk. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. You know why you can't? Because you won't. I can't sing. But it's not for lack of trying. Okay? But there are lots of things that we've been told we can't do. And we have believed that. And to me, this passage says there's nothing that God calls us to that we can't do in Christ. I think I'm preaching probably to the back wall back there, but maybe somebody will get this. Okay? It's not endowed. I mean, it's not dependent on us. It's an endowment. We have been given it. I love... The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and there's a part of it in there that just it blows me away. it just I just can't get my hands around it i can't quite understand it yet, but it's not it's not for not trying to preach on it, okay. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six verse ten. He taught his disciples to pray this way, Thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth.' as it is in heaven. In other words, God, your kingdom come in this situation. A few minutes ago, we prayed for Calvin. We were praying that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in that situation, that God would move, that God would work where we focused our prayer. And God has given us that responsibility. He's given us that privilege. And he's endowed us to pray that way. Folks, that's, that's really not prayer. That's declaration. That's declaration. We're just declaring what God has already said is true. We're, we're declaring what's already been done in heaven. It's not a request. It's a declaration. And folks, God has placed within all of us the spiritual potential to bring His will to bear in any given situation. That's how powerful He is. And that's how powerful we can be when we just trust Him. We've been given the privilege of bringing heaven to earth, of, of being conduits. That's, that's kind of the word I like, of co- conduits of, of God's power and His grace and His peace and His healing. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And listen to me. It's the same Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, that raised Jesus from the dead. Listen to Romans eight eleven. But if the Spirit of Him... The Spirit of who? The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. In other words, if you are a believer, that's what, he, that's what Paul is saying. If you're a believer, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give you life, or will give life to your mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit who indwells you. Folks, the same person with the same power resides in us that raised Jesus from the dead. Just let that... Well, I've got the Holy Spirit. Well, just think about what you do have. Okay? Think about who you have. You've got the power that said to a crucified, lifeless body, get up. And you know what happened? That body got up. You've got the same power in you that, and the same person in you who told Peter and James uh, or, or Peter and John, Peter and James, one of the three, two of the three, okay, I've, I've got them I've drawn a blank here. When they went to the beautiful gate, we don't have any silver, we don't have any gold, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. That's have the same person living in us, the same person. folks, if we could just get that. You know what? We would never blink at the devil again. We'd lean in. I know most of y'all never been in a fight. Okay, I know you hadn't. When I was in elementary school, I got a few. Okay? Didn't get many in high school because kids got bigger than I did. A lot of them did. Man, if, if we thought we could take the other guy, we'd lean in. Try to intimidate. Folks, We have the Spirit of God living in us. We can lean in on the enemy. Okay? He's intimidated if you know it. If you know it. Let me say this. We have an endless supply of the Holy Spirit. Okay? He's not going to run out of power. Amen? I don't know if I believe that or not. That's what Scripture teaches. He's God. Okay? Now, I'm going to share one more verse with you. We're going to stop today. You're saints. Okay? You got grace, you got peace without measure. You've got a Father in heaven who loves you unconditionally and has done everything that you need to be successful. He has blessed you with the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, The verse I'm about to read, if you don't get all caught up in religious garbage and what you've heard from this pastor or that pastor, but you'll just listen to what Scripture says, this next verse will change your life. Okay? Especially if you're somebody here who doesn't have a very biblical view of who you are. In other words, you've listened to other people define you. Okay? Y'all ready? Verse 4 says, Just as He, who is He? God. Chose us in Him. Who is Him? Jesus. Just as God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Nelson, what do you mean this verse will change my life? God chose you this morning. If you're a believer this morning, God chose you. I'm going to say that again. If you're a believer, God chose you. When you choose somebody, what do you do? You pick that person out. That's what Scripture teaches. That's what the Word means. I don't care what you've heard. This is not Calvinism. This is Bible. All right? God's Word says, I chose you, and you, and you, and you. I picked you out. I handpicked you. I didn't send angels to pick for me. I chose you. And you know what? I chose you before there was anything here. Before I had ever created anything. That's what this passage says. Before the foundation, before literally God flung the foundations down. I chose you. I picked you out. I don't know where you've been. I don't know who has said what about you. I don't know what your parents said about you. I don't know if you were condemned here and said you'd amount to nothing. But listen to me. God picked you this morning if you know Him as your Savior. He chose you. He chose you out of every person who had ever lived or who will ever live. He picked you. When I was a kid, the most fearful thing that I ever faced, was when we chose up teams. You know what my fear was? I'd be last, or they wouldn't even pick me. I mean, it's bad enough to be last, but there were times when, when, hey, somebody didn't get chosen. God picked you. He chose you. Like I said, he picked you out long before you did anything good or bad. Listen to me. I don't care what you hear anybody say. I don't care what preacher teaches this. This is a lie. God did not look down time and pick those who would pick him. That's not what this passage teaches. This passage says God chose before anything. He didn't worry about what you would or would not do. He picked you. Okay? So Nelson, you're a little passionate about that. That's because to make the text mean that, you have to do jungle gym gymnastics with it. Okay? Chose means he picked you. He picked some. He did not pick others. I don't know. I can't understand that. But here's what Scripture says. Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Scripture says that Jesus died for all. Okay? Okay? Now, well, I'm going to leave that there, okay? And if you want to argue with me, we'll 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 debate, okay? I'm just I'm to, but I am going to say some more about this because I need to drive this nail in, okay, and set it. Folks, what he did, he did out of grace and he did out of unconditional love. See, we really don't understand sin. We don't understand The depth of how wicked it is. It's a you know I made a mistake, messed up. Yes, you messed up. You made a mistake, and 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 between you and me, we 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 can that's okay. But God is holy; He is without sin, and we sinned against a holy God who made us. We made our, our forefather and our foremother, Adam and Eve, without any sin. And they chose sin. Now, I don't understand all that. I just know this. That's how much God loves us. He knew all that was going to take place, and yet he still picked us. He knew where you would go. He knew what you would do. He knew that on this date, at a certain time, this would happen. And yet he said, you know what, I'll take her. I'll take him. You know, if I was picking teams, that's not the way I would do it. How about you? But that's what he did. Folks, he did it before Adam sinned, before we were born. In other words, God said, you know what? I'm going to pour out my grace on you. When he said, I choose you, that's what he said. I'm going to pour out my grace on you, and you, and you, and you. I'm going to love you, and you, and you, and you. Why did he choose me? Why did He choose you? Folks, here's the reason. So that we could be holy and blameless. If He didn't choose me, I couldn't be holy and blameless on my own. I could never be good enough. There are some people in this room this morning that are doing your best to, to do things right. And listen to me, it's important that we obey God's laws. But just because I do them right does not mean I'm holy because of that action. I become holy and I become blameless because of what Jesus did for me. I do those things because I love God. And when you love somebody, you want to do what pleases them. Folks, you can't ever work yourself into that position. You you can't become a holy one. You can't become a saint. God declares you. You're a holy one. You're justified through the blood of my son. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. That's who God says you are. You believe that? Don't answer. Don't answer. Some of you I know do. Folks, he chose us so that we could be blameless, without blame. Unblemished is what the word means. No defects. It was a word that was used in the in the old testament of the lambs that were brought to the temple to be sacrificed. They were blameless. They had no defects, no marks in them. And when God looks at us this morning, at this very moment, this is what he says You're holy. You're consecrated, set apart to me, and you're set apart for me. You're blameless. You're mine. You're without blame. You don't have any guilt any longer for the sins of your past. You're without deflect, defect. You're unblemished like Jesus. I want you to listen to First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Peter says this, Knowing that you... And who's he talking about? He's talking about me and you. He's talking about us, believers. The ones that have been chosen. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed, you were not ransomed. That's that's what the word redeemed mean. With perishable things like silver and gold. Literally what he's saying is those little coins they use at the slave markets to buy the slaves with, God didn't use those when he bought you. He didn't use silver and gold. No, no, no. He says, You 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 weren't redeemed with things like silver and gold, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But listen to what he says. But with costly, precious, valuable blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, no stains, the blood of Christ. Now, don't don't miss what God's saying here. He's, He's not saying you and I are Jesus. What he's saying is we are like Jesus in the situation that we now reside in as believers. We have been made spotless. We're not Jesus, but because of what Jesus did, we enjoy the position that Jesus has. We're spotless. We're blameless. Folks, God doesn't, when He looks at us, He doesn't see our sin. Not the sin of the past. He doesn't see all those old memories that we keep holding on to. Folks, He doesn't see a pitiful little creature, this dragging its pitiful little legs, crippled legs through the gate of glory and are barely going to get them in before it swings shut. That's not who God sees. Okay? He said, Nelson, I think you're trying to I am. He doesn't see somebody that smells like smoke and just got plucked out in the nick of time. That, that's not who he sees. Folks, he sees images of Jesus Christ. He sees spotless, pure lambs when he looks at his kids without stain without blemish folks when when god saved you when when he saved you that was the image that's burned in his heart and every time he looks at you that's what he sees he sees a holy one he sees a holy one he sees his saints the holy ones who've been who've been drowned in grace literally and peace of our Father God, and who's blessed us, He's endowed us with every blessing in Christ because He's chosen us, picked us out, one by one. I'll take that one, that one, that one, that one. And He's made every one of us to stand without blame before Him in eternity. You know when He did this? Before eternity began before time ever was created he did that now that's how God says I see you now here's the dilemma that some of you are in that's not how you see yourself even worse you almost refuse to see yourself that way you say that's just too easy folks listen to me it wasn't easy for Jesus Okay? God says, this is how I see you. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? If you believe me, then live this way. Step into this. Folks, I'm telling you, this will set you free. This will set you free from the past. This will set you free from religion. This will empower you to embrace God. God fully in a way you've never embraced Him folks this is what your dog tags say okay when it's all said and done and this body lies down and metaphorically speaking God looks down and takes those dog tags in His hand says oh this is one of mine and in a blink of an eye I'll go from here to glory And God will say, Welcome home, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Enter into the glory of your Master. Well done. The same thing will happen to you if you know Jesus this morning. Folks, this is who the Bible says we are. And it's time we started, number one, digging into it. Number two, believing it. And then number three, living it out. For too long, we've told people how to live instead of telling them who they are. The key is, if you learn who you are, you will live this way, okay? One plus one does equal two. If you know who you are, you'll live this way. That's what Paul does. In Ephesians, Paul tells these people who they are. Then, in the middle of the book, he tells them how they are supposed to live in light of that. And in the very end of the chapter, he tells them to stand firm. If this is who you are and, this is, and you live this out, then you will be able to stand firm on that battlefield and you will defeat the enemy every time. We want to swing the sword and go to war, but most of us don't have dog tags. or we can't. We, we've never touched our dog tags. We don't know what's on our dog tag. Folks, God says you are his. Curious. He bless bright. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.